If no one sheds light on what is being done in the darkness, it will never stop. One in three girls and one in six boys are sexually abused and told to hush. Breaking the silence is the first step to healing. Healing is a lifelong journey. Find your voice. Your story matters. Pain put me into hiding. Purpose called me out. May the silence be broken. Thanks so much for listening to the One Voice Podcast. It's a safe place for conversation on relevant topics with real life stories to encourage and inspire you along life's journey of healing from sexual abuse. I'm Mary O'Brien with Nicole Braddock-Bromley. Last time we talked about tips for high school and college students going back to school and protecting them from sexual assault. And this time we wanted to flip to the younger ages because protecting our kids from rape can start from the very beginning And we want to not only come alongside survivors of sexual assault, but protect innocent ones from ever becoming victims. We believe parents can start educating children about consent and empowerment as early as birth. And we hope that by creating the right conversations from the start, we can become one voice in raising empowered young adults who have empathy for others and a clear understanding of healthy consent. And it's funny that I think probably people listening would say, Oh, sure. Talking about rape from birth, that's ridiculous. But I honestly (laughs) do believe that you can start from the very beginning. And one of my biggest desires has always been to help create a generation who has less rape, less sexual abuse in their lives. And though none of us would ever dream of teaching our kids that rape's okay, I think in a lot of ways, um, subconsciously, just in our everyday life, well-meaning parents, they're truly contributing to rape culture just by these messages that we're sending to our kids. And like I say, a lot of them are by accident, but they are alarming to me just because I'm heightened to this. So Mm -hmm. I think the first one, and we'll just go through, you know, a few of them. And this is, again, this is about how we as parents are contributing to rape culture, not so much about how to talk to your kids about sexual abuse. It's more about these messages we're sending to children about rape culture so we can get into all the other stuff about teaching your kids about abuse in another podcast but the first one um is telling kids that boys will be boys and so you know mary you and i are both moms of boys yeah which my cousin tracy in california she always loves when i do something that's like typical of a a mom of boys she always goes hashtag boy mom (laughs) (laughs) i love that but anyway so between the two of us we have four very active boys And I know most people don't mean harm when they say boys will be boys, but too often that phrase is used to excuse a bad behavior, um, like hitting other kids Mm -hmm. or being destructive. You know, my boys are crazy. Your boy is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. Boys are, are, are crazy and, and they are destructive in some ways, but at the same time, boys are fully capable of respecting other people's bodies respecting other people's properties, um, possessions, you know, our personal space. Mm -hmm. And they have to be taught this, though. So if if boys grow up constantly hearing adults excusing their bad behavior simply because they are boys, then they're going to learn that they're not only above the rules, but that boys can't control their impulses and that that's actually okay Mm -hmm. simply because of their gender. So if that gets ingrained at an early age, then... You know, you can imagine how that will affect them as they grow up. They're navigating sexual desire. They're relating to other people. So to me, it only makes sense that boys who've been told their whole lives 
that they are above the rules because, quote, boys will be boys, they're going to grow into men who feel entitled to sexually harass other people simply because they're male. So the next one is one that I probably speak even on college campuses a lot about. And you've heard me talk in like Q&A sessions at colleges and just teaching even, you know, educators or aunts and uncles, you know, college kids can even help in raising up the next generation to understand their ownership of their body and what consent means. So this next one is forcing kids to hug, kiss, or sit on the laps of family members or friends. You know, we all want our kids to show affection to others and especially those who care about them or who are safe. Um, But kids are crazy. And I can tell one of my boys to give Uncle John a a hug or a kiss goodbye because he's leaving and they won't see him till Thanksgiving. And my kid might immediately run off and climb a tree. I mean, like that's just kind of how it is. And it's not because Uncle John is scary. It's just because kids are going to be kids. So most of us will tell our kids to give a hug without considering whether that kid really wants to. So suggesting the affection is fine. It's forcing the hug that I have mm. the issue with. It sends this dangerous message to a child that their body is not their own and that consent can be overridden. So if my son doesn't want to sit on grandpa's lap to read a book, I don't make him. You know, this teaches my child that he has a right to consent to anything that concerns his body and that his body is his own. And then, of course, you know, you follow that up with your child in private. Was there a reason you didn't want to sit on grandpa's lap today? Was there a reason you didn't want to read a book with him? It gives them the open door to share if there's anything uncomfortable going on there. And then I would suggest, too, giving your kids the power of their own choices by suggesting a few different ways to greet or hug or say goodbye to loved ones. You can ask your kids something, you know, like you might say to Liam, do you want to give Mimi a hug, maybe a high five, blow a kiss? You know, you're giving them a choice. Yeah, I think that can be a really positive thing. Or you can teach children to ask permission before even touching a friend. Like you might say, Liam, let's ask Case if he wants to hug. Bye bye. If Case says no, which would surprise me because Case loves hugging Liam. (laughs) (laughs) But let's say he does say no. Then we say something like, that's okay, Liam. Let's wave bye bye and blow him a kiss. So the point is that kids need us to teach and model from the beginning of their innocent lives that consent matters. And I'll tell you as a parent, this is not easy uh, because my son is my parents' only grandchild. So I want everything to just be perfect and wonderful with this amazing experience of them being a grandparent. So I want him to listen to mommy and give them a hug or a kiss or sit on their lap and read a book. But again, you have to let a kid make their own decision, even if they're only two and a half. So we have already started down this road, too, um, after you helping me, Nicole, learn that he doesn't have to kiss or hug or whatever to say bye. He can just do his own thing. And They have to be okay with that. And if they're not, then it's not my problem. Mm -hmm. Even though I love Mm -hmm. them so much, he's going to make his own decisions. And I'm setting that tone right now. Yeah, I think that's great. And if it's a problem for the adults in your life, I think so be it. I mean, it's not your job to make them happy. Mm -hmm. It, It is your job to be doing what's best for your child and giving them the tools to be safe to be happy and helping other people do the same. I remember that coming up for me as a parent, the first time my boys were spending the night with one of their grandparents. And 
it was at that time that I felt like they were old enough. They were about, I think the oldest one was about three or four to begin washing their own parts during bath time because I wanted it to be, there was going to be a certain time when they learned one, the correct terminology for their private parts and explaining that, you know, these are their own, they're important, they need to take care of them. But that from that point forward, they would always be the one that was cleaning themselves there. So there was never going to be a gray area. You know, once I said, you're old enough and you can do this. Now there's never, well, I'm going to my grandma's house and she's going to clean me. But no, it was going to be, I'm not even going to clean you. So when you go spend the night at a grandparent's house, no one else is going to do it either. So that they knew, you know, very confidently that they were to take care of themselves in that way. It teaches them also um, using the correct terminology of their parts that their, you know, their privates are not toys, they're not playful objects. So once my kids turned that age and once they were going to have that sleepover, that was when I said, you know, you're old enough to take care of your privates. No one touches you there except for mommy. If you need help or if you're at the doctor's office and mommy's with you during the checkup. So there were no gray areas that a perpetrator could take advantage of, even if it was in their family. So the next one is asking, what did you do to make him hit you? Or what did you do to, to ask for her to hit you? Um, so that's a tough one, I think, especially for parents like me that has more than one kid. You know, I have boys that antagonize each other just <laughs> to get a reaction. Yeah. And then when the other one lashes out, slaps or hits or kicks or throws an iPad and, mm-hmm. and completely slashes the eyebrow of one of the others. Yeah, that happened in my house. I was going to say, it sounds <laughs> like that's happened in your house. Yeah. So and then the other one acts surprised and, and starts sobbing. So it's it's obviously important to get like the whole story before you react as a parent. But when you ask the question, what did you do to make him hit you? This teaches kids both the victim and the aggressor in the situation, that someone can force someone else to make a bad choice. So you fast forward, that child is now a college student telling what I hear all too often, you know, when they found the courage to tell that they'd been raped in college. And then someone asked them, what were you wearing that night? What were you drinking? So basically, what did you do to make them rape you? So when you're parenting, you know, it's about trying not to react with those kinds of questions and instead say to each kid involved in the situation, you know, can you please tell me the whole story of what happened from the beginning? So that way, you know, the role that each child played before placing blame or giving consequences. Um, And then always trying to remind kids that they they have a choice. They always have Mm -hmm. a choice when they hurt someone else. No matter how annoying their little brother or sister might be, no one can force them to act out physically. It's a choice they are making for themselves. Well, and I think it's important, too, that you're having a conversation. You're not immediately jumping Mm -hmm. in the situation and shaming them. Mm -hmm. You're allowing it to be a two-way street of, I want you to share with me from the beginning you know, what happened and I'm going to help you navigate through this and maybe how we can handle it differently next Mm -hmm, time. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's really good. Really good. Um, But teaching from the beginning that not no one can make you hurt someone else. You always are making that choice for yourself. And the next one is, you know, teaching kids that boys and girls hit each other because they like them or because they're flirting. (laughs) 
Now I remember this as a kid. I remember being chased on the playground by, you know, these boys that apparently liked me and they were kicking me and, and hitting me and throwing rocks at me. I'm like, that doesn't make sense to me. Right. But, but for some reason, kids do this. But the bad part about it is that sometimes parents will acknowledge that and blow it off like it's normal and it's fine. And I just don't think it's normal, <laughs> you yeah. know, that we shouldn't be teaching them that this is normal behavior. And it doesn't matter whether your child's a girl or a boy. It's important that they learn early on that hitting or hurting someone to get their attention is never okay. And is absolutely never a way to show someone that you like them. So as a parent saying something like, she only does that because she likes you. I just don't think that should ever be spoken when our kids are being teased or hurt. And you may feel a little weird going against the grain because so many people give into that idea mm -hmm. of, oh, they're just being kids and that's yeah. what they do. Yeah. But as we look at children and how uh, just innocent and vulnerable mm -hmm. they are and just in that development stage, we have so many opportunities uh, to really change that behavior that could really impact the rest of their life in a really positive, good way. That's exactly right. And that's really the point of this podcast is I think a lot of it could be looked at as, okay, Nicole, you're overreacting here. But but if you look at it over the course of a child's development into adulthood, not only do these things or could these things contribute to things like intimate partner violence or rape later on, but it also teaches kids like in this situation that their own desire for attention is more important than the feelings of the person that they like or that someone else's desire for them could actually make them a victim, mm. <laughs> you know, which is exactly what rape culture is. So if we can nip these in the bud in the beginning, hopefully later on in life, we're actually you know, decreasing the amount of sexual assaults, of intimate partner violence, so on and so on. So the next one is shaming others in front of your kids. So as parents, we're always teaching our kids, whether we know it or not, our kids are listening to our words, they're figuring out how what we say about the world, about them, about each other, how all of that applies to their lives. So if our kids hear us excusing sexual assault in any way, they're going to internalize that message and remember it. So never speak anything that would contribute to your kids believing that their circumstances, which someone would deserve to be raped or that someone's entitled to commit a sexual assault, you know, if the victim seemed to deserve it or ask for it. So this might be for maybe older kids, maybe teens or something, but I think it's really important to, to talk about now is whether it's because a woman made a certain choice of what she's wearing that day, or maybe because a man act a little feminine, you know, that they noticed in public or something or on TV, it's wrong to degrade someone like that every single time, but especially in front of your kids. So I think it's important we remind our kids things like nobody deserves rape, no one asks for it or had it coming. Um, there's nothing that anybody could do that forces another person to rape them, including being drunk, being high, showing up to a party dressed like Lil' Kim at the VMAs. Like, even if you did oh, that, man. <laughs> even if you did that, the blame for a rape always lands on the rapist. Um, so recognizing, I guess, sexual objectification, calling it out for what it is. When you're driving around and advertising um, that makes a man or a woman look like an object, you know, and your child's eyes come across that. Point it out. Don't overlook it or pretend like you didn't see it or they didn't see it. Discuss it with them. 
I think it's having the courage to just go there. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, life is short and there is enough noise and uh, just negative things swirling all around us. So I think you have to capture it in that mm-hmm. moment. And especially when you're in the car together and you have their attention oh, because yeah. they have to be sitting there with you. They can't run. Yeah. So just going there and saying, hey, like, what do you what do you think about that? Mm-hmm. You know, and just kind of dissecting it and picking their brain a little bit mm-hmm. and then helping navigate through that whole thought process. That's really good. And I think encouraging them to think about other people's thoughts and feelings when they see images like that yeah. or in the media or how it might contribute to injustice in the world. I mean, these are all really good conversations. So like you said, we've got to just latch onto those moments. Don't be afraid to go there. These are conversations that could really impact them for the rest of their lives. And another one, when no and yes don't mean anything. <laughs> you know, for for parents, I think backtracking on our no or consistently forcing kids to say yes Um, These are problems. So let your no be no and don't backtrack. I've seen studies that say that inconsistent parenting can exacerbate a child's behavior problems. And it will also hinder a child from developing self-soothing skills that are needed to accept disappointment. So, you know, teach your kids that your no means no. Teach your kids that when someone says stop when they're playing, that you stop, that People's no's and stops should be honored. Um, This has been a big one in my house. You know, probably if you're listening through a window at any hour of the day in my house, (laughs) you'll hear me yelling, your brother said stop. And when we hear stop, we stop what we're doing immediately. (laughs) You know, so I think but that's very important that no is to be honored. Well, I think a lot of that even goes back to just respecting other human beings, period. Yeah. Uh, whether it's your sibling or, you know, mom, dad, a, a classmate, a teacher, a lot of this stuff goes back to respect mm-hmm. and just mm-hmm. boundaries and, and all of this stuff that, you know, you learn at a very young age, but sometimes, you know, your parents have a little hiccup and they don't acknowledge that they don't address that so I think it's important now that we're parents that we have to be aware of all of this stuff going on in the world and how properly to handle it because you're molding these little people's brains and I've even found it important to allow kids to occasionally say no themselves um, and to let them stand firm in things that they might not want to do now obviously we have to push them to do certain things and we don't want them saying no to us but You know, when my son Isaac wants to play a game with Jude and Jude just wants to go play alone, it's tempting for me to make Jude go play with Mm, Isaac. Yeah. You know, especially if I feel like it's going to end up me being the one that's going to have to go play Legos for the 43rd time today, you know, (laughs) but always forcing Jude to say yes teaches him that he has to change his mind. You know, he has to ignore his own needs for alone time or whatever it was that he wanted to do. And he now has to focus on pleasing someone else, whether that be his brother or his mom. So I think it's about losing an opportunity to teach Isaac too how to cope when things don't go his way. So it's twofold. You're, You're teaching, you know, Jude to sort of give in sometimes, but not always because he has his own thing going. You know, he has his own needs and he can say no sometimes. And then it's also about Isaac. Mm-hmm. He he gets to learn how to hear a no and be okay with it, which is something he especially needs to learn right now. He's my dramatic one. So <laughs> he needs a little bit of, of understanding that life's not always going to go his way and he has to respect his, his brother's no. And it's not the end of the world. 
life goes on. And <laughs> yeah. so it's just these little conversations yeah. again yeah. that bleed out into so many other areas of life. Mm-hmm. And I think the last thing that I would want to hit on is when we were responding to emotions and not words in our children. So don't answer and respond to the temper tantrums. You ask your child, you know, to use your words, even just simple words to tell you what's going on. So that's a lot of information and a lot that we didn't even cover. But I think it's good information just to start thinking about. There's no way to completely protect our kiddos from becoming victims or even perpetrators of rape. But we certainly do have the power and the responsibility to help them recognize and avoid the harmful attitudes around sexuality, power, control, and coercion that have permeated our culture. I believe kids really want to be a force for good. And I believe we can give them the tools to do just that. So let's commit as a unified one voice to teach children to respect their instincts, emotions, and bodies, and model to them how to recognize and respect the same thing in others. Hopefully we can shift the dialogue and help create a culture for them that fosters healthy boundaries and ends sexual violence in all of its forms. We're so thankful you're here. We hope you'll subscribe, write a review if there's something that really stuck out to you today. And don't forget to invite family and friends to listen so more people can join us on this journey of healing from sexual abuse. You can find out more at IamOneVoice.org or check us out on Facebook.